Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Fashion doesn't sit still. It's constantly changing. Every decade, every year, every season. Sometimes certain trends return, like the bell-bottom craze of the 1990s. And sometimes they rightly go away forever, like the polyester leisure suits of the 70s. But one clothing item has withstood the test of time, existing for thousands of years across a variety of cultures, even though it is widely considered to be a modern creation. It started in 5600 BC in the ancient city of Katal Huyuk, the ruins of which can be found today in modern-day Turkey. During this era, an image of the mother goddess of the native people was crafted. The image showed her wearing two strips of cloth, one covering her chest and the other covering her lower half, as she sat upon two leopards. A similar outfit was seen thousands of years later in 1400 BC, it was depicted in Greek vases, urns, and artwork, and was often seen on women participating in athletic activities. Throughout history, evidence of this garment was also found in ancient Roman mosaics, Greek sculptures, and Latin literature. It is almost as old as time itself. However, even though this article of clothing was worn commonly and publicly, it became increasingly seen as immodest and vulgar by more conservative-minded individuals as time wore on. It wasn't until one man decided to tackle it head-on and drag it into the sunshine of the modern age. His name was Louis Rayard, born in France in 1897. He'd worked as an automotive engineer until his mother's death around 1940. She had owned a clothing business, and Louis took it upon himself to step into her shoes, no pun intended, running the company from that point on. Sometimes he would stroll the nearby beaches, and he would note how the women couldn't get the kind of suntan they wanted their swimsuits covered too much of their bodies, so they would roll the fabric back to expose more of their skin. And this gave him an idea. What if they didn't have to roll up the fabric? What if they could wear a swimsuit that exposed their midriff for them instead? It took several years, due in part to the war effort and fabric shortages, but by 1946, Louis had come up with just the thing. And so had someone else. Jacques Heim, also from France, had gotten his start working for his parents' fur company. Just like Louis, Jacques took the reins and started running it himself some years later, eventually broadening its offerings beyond fur coats and stoles. The company's new couture line included dresses, and Jacques also started producing clothes for young girls. But aside from all of that, he made a bathing suit. It was comprised of a ruffled bandeau and a pair of short bottoms, with a thin strip of midriff exposed between them. He called it the Atom, French for Atom, and advertised it by paying skywriters, 
to write out the phrase, the world's smallest bathing suit in the sky over a popular resort. But Jacques Heim didn't have Louis Rayard's marketing prowess. Louis knew what people wanted to see. He would use even less fabric than his competitor, a meager four small triangles tied together that amounted to no more than 30 square inches of material. It had to be seen to be believed. All he needed was a model. Unfortunately, no one wanted to wear it, as there wasn't much there to begin with. But he eventually found his model in a young 19-year-old dancer named Micheline Bernardini. She worked at a local music hall and agreed to be photographed in Louis' new bathing suit. On July 5th of 1946, he took her to a public swimming pool in Paris and introduced her to the crowd. She made quite a splash. The bottoms of her new swimsuit stopped just below her navel and exposed more of her backside than any other suit on the market. And as promised, her midriff was fully exposed. Newspapers printed photos of her in the ensemble to great acclaim, mostly from men. However, it was banned in several countries and even a few places in the United States. Over time, however, it gained in popularity among swimmers and beachgoers. And despite Jacques Heim beating Louis Rayard to market with his design, it was Louis's name for the product that ultimately stuck. He had named his swimsuit after the location of a U.S. atomic test site near the equator called Bikini Atoll. So with one word and a few pieces of fabric, two men brought a 7,600-year-old garment into the 20th century with the invention of the bikini. And Louis even managed to outdo his competition. A few weeks after Jacques had his slogan written across the sky for the resort, Louis hired his own skywriters to do the same. Except this time, he had them write something better. Smaller, it said, than the smallest bathing suit in the world. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, 
Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Comedian and filmmaker Mel Brooks famously said, Rhetoric does not get you anywhere, because Hitler and Mussolini are just as good at rhetoric. But if you can bring these people down with comedy, they stand no chance. He understood that in order to rob evil people of their power, he had to make them the butt of the joke. Perhaps no work of his exemplifies this more than the musical number Springtime for Hitler from Brooks's 1967 film The Producers. The -the over-the-top Broadway performance in which Nazis sing and dance, paying tribute to a giant poster of their leader, has the Hitler character enter the scene and is portrayed as a laughable beatnik, not a fearsome dictator. But what Mel Brooks might not have known at the time was that he didn't have to make up stories to make the Nazis look like fools. One real-life German U-boat captain managed to do that all on his own. His name was Karl Adolf Schlitt, and he was in charge of German submarine U-1206. The U-1206 was a 220-foot sub, weighing as much as 871 tons when submerged. It was built later in the war, and as a result, had a few upgrades that separated it from its earliest counterparts. One such upgrade was its use of deep-water, high-pressure toilets. Unlike British subs, which kept septic tanks on board that could be emptied at a later time, the U-1206 fired human waste into the ocean with every flush. This new plumbing system allowed use of the restroom while the sub was at depth. No need to worry about a heavy tank to add weight to the vessel. There was only one catch. Flushing the toilet was a lot more complicated. It even required training on how to do it properly without jeopardizing the integrity of the vessel and the lives of the people on board. A person had to turn a series of valves in just the right order to evacuate the toilet's contents without seawater coming back in. In April of 1945, the U-1206 was traveling 200 feet below the waters off the coast of Scotland when Captain Schlitt got the urge. He might have had a large meal or one too many cups of coffee that day, but whatever it was, he had to go. Now, being a submarine captain, a man in control of a massive vessel, and his own destiny, there was no reason for him to think he couldn't handle something as simple as using a toilet. And yet, he soon learned that flushing the U-1206's commode required more than a jiggle of the handle. After he had done his business, Schlitt stood up and realized that, unlike the sub, he was out of his depth. He called in an engineer to assist him. Now there were two Nazis in a small submarine bathroom with no idea how to flush the toilet. The engineer turned one valve, and that's all it took for all hell to break loose. The room started to take on seawater, with Schlitz's remnants swirling around with them. And to make matters worse, the bathroom was positioned over the sub's battery. As the water breached the compartment, another kind of toxic gas, chlorine gas to be precise, filled the vessel. Schlitz and his crew had no choice but to surface, and at the worst possible time, The U-1206 was almost immediately spotted by the British Royal Air Force and fired upon. With no other options, the 50 or so German crew abandoned the sub, which was then deliberately sunk to keep its secrets from the Allies. Four Nazis died that day, while the others were captured. 
In Schlitt's official report, he stated that he had been in the engine room when one of his engineers had tried to repair a vent at the front of the vessel. The ensuing onrush of seawater made the sub buoyant and they were forced to surface. He made no mention of his time in the bathroom, nor the failed flush that had sealed the fates of him and his crew. Captain Schlitt was only 27 when he was handed control of the U-1206. It was his first patrol. After spending several years in a POW camp, he was released and lived to the ripe old age of 90. But he had to live every day of that, knowing that he got his men killed or captured because he didn't know how to flush a toilet. And that's a real Schlitt show, if you ask me. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.